With each generation of veterans comes different needs and challenges for one organization created to assist them. I'm Robin Shannon, and on this week's Fordham Conversations, we hear from the president of the United War Veterans Council about what his organization is doing to help veterans readjust to civilian life. Dan McSweeney is also a Fordham alum. Good morning, Dan. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good, good. So can you describe how the United War Veterans Council is helping vets adjust to their new lives post-deployment? Sure. We have uh, three main programs that we deal with. Uh, the first is called Veterans Advocacy, and this is an attempt by us, and I think we're pretty good at it, to raise awareness among the population, the general public, and among decision makers in government about what are the current needs of veterans, what's happening with them, what are their experiences and perspectives. So this advocacy function is best dealt with, we think, through a series of events that we hold each year, and we, we culminate with the annual Veterans Day Parade on Fifth Avenue, which is a terrific way to highlight the experiences and the needs of our veterans here in New York, but also increasingly on a national level. So that's our first program, Veterans Advocacy. Then we've got a second area of focus, which is veteran support. And this is where we're actually interacting with and helping individual veterans and their families. We, th we do that through referrals. We do that through direct support, whether it's financial or moral or in terms of networking or other kinds of help to individuals and organizations that are in the community that we think show a lot of promise and that need some help in order to get to the next level. Uh, so, for example, we've recently helped with the establishment of a veterans business incubator called Prosper. We have helped uh, with other groups out there, the Army Week organization, for example. Uh, we're in the process of determining how best to serve the need for a universal community calendar in the veterans community. So things that are, are of direct support to veterans and their families. That's the second area. And then the third area we call veteran sustainability. And that's got a couple of interesting aspects to it. So the first part is we run a recycling business. It's a social enterprise. Uh, we employ veterans and we go to people's homes who call us up or contact us online and we collect material that they would like to donate. So they're doing spring cleaning. Uh, they have the desire to get rid of old clothing or housewares. Rather than put those in a landfill or take the trouble of going to the Salvation Army shop, uh, however far away that is in New York, we can go to their doorstep, pick it up, give them a tax receipt so they can write it off, and that material is sold to a third party and helps fund our programs. So it's a multifaceted way of instilling the idea of sustainability, which is a very interesting and very profound concept in our community. The other thing we do in that area is we train veterans in issues related to green technology and other forms of sustainable uh, movement. And is it a one-stop shop, Dan, where veterans know they can come to you and get help in these different branches? Yeah, we're, we're not going to reinvent the wheel, uh, and we can't do it all. No organization can. However, over the past 30 years that we've been conducting the parade, we've established ourselves as an apolitical, nonpartisan convener in the veterans community here in New York. And we have a I would like to think we have a good reputation of being honest brokers. And so if we can't do it ourselves, we will find someone to help an individual veteran, a family member, a fledgling organization, an established organization. It's important for there to be unity in the veterans community. And the reason for that, I think, is pretty self-evident. Veterans, when they come home, face challenges. 
they're not all homeless, they don't all have PTS, we've got to meet them where they are on the spectrum of needs, but it helps to, to be specific and be helpful to veterans if we as a community coalesce and uh, learn to work with each other. There's so many veterans groups out there, there's no need for us to compete with each other. Rather than compete, let's coordinate. That's one of the things that we really try to emphasize. Dan, can you explain um, or give me an example, I should say, of how the United War Veterans Council is helping vets adjust to their new lives? Sure. Let me let me just uh, give a very close-to-home example. Uh, we've got a team of about seven folks that we work with on a daily basis, and um, not all of them, but about half of them are veterans. And I think that's a good thing because the veterans community, at the end of the day, when they finish their military service, needs to reintegrate into civilian society. That's one very clear end of the effort to be an advocate for veterans is to help veterans reintegrate to their homes. So there is a gentleman that works with us uh, who handles our logistics um, and he had some challenges uh, when he left the military and came back and he got help through uh, a series of organizations but particularly with one and um, we made it a point to establish a very very close working relationship with that organization so that they became a feeder to us so that as we ramp up our operations each year in preparation for the parade and it's time to bring people on for part-time work or on a volunteer basis, we can work directly with this group. This gentleman knows the situation of the other vets that are in that program, can speak their language, can relate to them, but we get the benefit of his commitment and his uh, wisdom when it comes to putting all these things together. He handles all of our logistics. And so this is an example of us working with an individual meeting him where he was on the spectrum of needs and in this case it turned out to be a full-time job that doesn't happen all the time obviously we can't employ everybody but we can offer different kinds of help to different people and i think that if you show veterans that you are open to hearing their story and understanding where they are uh, i think that goes a long way to to bridging the perceived gap that there might be on the part of veterans when it comes to thinking about where they belong in society. It's really important to understand that today's generation of veterans, unlike veterans in the past, are much more nuanced uh, and I would say much more sophisticated in their view of the world. This is a group of young people, if you stop to think about it, that were raised on the 24-hour news cycle. They were raised with the internet their view oftentimes is very global uh, in, in its in its reach and so they go into the military oftentimes they deploy they're in harm's way when they come back uh, their perspectives are going to be a lot more nuanced and sophisticated than those of previous generations simply because of all the information they've been exposed to people that serve in the military are much better educated than they have been in the past and so they go not only through their civilian education pre-military service but in the service itself they are involved in pretty sophisticated training so it's a different uh, mixture of needs uh, that people face when they come back and we can't have an antiquated notion that all veterans for example have PTS or that all veterans are going to be homeless or that all veterans are struggling with uh, with this or that malady we have to be understanding that they have a, a whole bunch of different needs. Some of them come back to uh, civilian society and they are 
almost ready immediately to go into graduate school. Some of them still need help finding a place to live. And you have to meet them where they are or, or you're really wasting your time and wasting their time. So we have to be realistic about what we're offering and uh, how we interact with them. So we have to meet them where they are is the bottom line. So what do you consider one of the most important priorities for this new generation of veterans? Uh, that's a great question, and it brings up a lot of issues because this generation is different, right? Because first off, the last major conflict we were in, you know, pre, let's say, Gulf War 1990 was, of course, Vietnam. The experience of Vietnam veterans coming home was completely different than the experience of the current generation, the post-9-11 vets. Uh, and it's tragic and sad to say it, but the Vietnam veterans, when they got back, were not welcomed home. Can you give us a little bit of historical information about sure. what was going on? I mean, I, th I think American society in the 1960s and 70s was undergoing significant cultural shifts. There were different political perspectives that were being expressed. Couple that with the fact, because it is a fact, that the Vietnam War was extremely controversial and it was not supported universally, uh, especially as greater media coverage occurred of the war. There was a lot of people back home that didn't support it and then outrightly opposed it. So the veterans, uh, the, the people who served in the military at that time, most of them were draftees. That was a period of time in American history when people were drafted into military service. And they had to go to the... They to had the... to go. Uh, there were plenty of volunteers, I'm not saying that, but the military system, by and large, was a draft system. We've moved away from that. We now have an all-volunteer force, and that has implications. But I guess the bottom line is that because of this confusion in American society and because of the unpopular nature of this war, the folks that went there and then came back were not treated well. They were spit on when they arrived home. I think that... Uh, I don't think I know that I've spoken to a lot of Vietnam vets that had that experience, and it made them ashamed of their service in a lot of cases, which is tragic, because these are not people that asked to go in right. most cases. So and, what, you're what you're talking about is people mad at the system that was set up, but they took it out on the veterans. They did, and you know it was an unjust reaction to, to a situation, and I think that it made the veterans of that era very defensive, uh, and I would be too. I can totally understand that, but... A good thing happened at the end of the day. To their credit, this generation of veterans of Vietnam uh, made a decision that they did not accept that treatment. It was not their fault that we were in that war. They were following orders. They were doing what they felt they needed to do to support our country. And so they made a pact uh, with each other and with future generations of vets that never again would one generation of veterans fail to support another generation. And so that means... 35 years later, 40 years later, than when I got back from Iraq in 2003 and then again in 2007, I was given a very warm welcome home. And so this generation of Vietnam veterans, if you stop to think about it, helped our country culturally mature and emotionally mature to be able to distinguish between the service member and the policymaker who's sitting in Washington and making foreign policy decisions. That's a critical step in the evolution of our country, and we have to be thankful to the Vietnam vets for that. And I think that we are doing, by and large, a pretty good job of it. Everybody hears the complaints about the VA. Of course there are problems. However, speaking from personal experience, when I got back from Iraq, I was checked in with by the VA on a regular basis for over a year. And so... 
clearly that's not been the case with everybody but i think that we are making a concerted effort to improve the situation for our veterans and how we deal with them when they get back and i think ultimately it's got to be a combination of both government and private sector mostly in the nonprofit arena efforts to work together and create a welcome home environment where people are supported in the ways they need to be This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Raman Shannon. I'm in the studio with Dan McSweeney, the president of the United War Veterans Council. We're discussing what his organization is doing to help veterans readjust to civilian life. Now, I understand, as you said earlier, that the challenges of veterans now are different than the challenges of uh, veterans from uh, Vietnam. But there does seem to be this idea that when we're talking about help with veterans, we're talking about homelessness or we're talking about addiction help. Um, where did that stereotype come from? Yeah, and I do think that, you know, the the big shadow in our consciousness when it comes to veterans does come from the Vietnam generation because their experience was so negative when they got back. I mean, think about it in popular culture. I was a kid growing up in the 70s. What were the big movies that emerged? Apocalypse Now, The Deer Hunter... Movies that portrayed Vietnam vets as people who are incapable of coping with normal society that had severe mental issues. The, the one that came out uh, mid-80s, as I recall, maybe early 80s, was Rambo. Rambo was a Vietnam vet who couldn't deal with society, and he felt that he was being bullied, and he snapped. And that, you know, I think both reflected and... Uh, Influenced, almost. influenced yes. a, a, a particular view of veterans. And I don't think that that stereotype, I don't think that image applies anymore. It's not the way that it used to be. Uh, it was a sad chapter in our history. It was sensationalized a lot by the media and by the entertainment industry. Um, but at the end of the day, I was with a bunch of Vietnam vets last week uh, at a, a quarterly lunch that they held, the hold. And, um, you know, these are people that... Uh, remain patriotic, remain very high functioning. There's a lot of successful businessmen in that community uh, and they want to give back. And so we, we have to be grateful to that generation of veterans for everything that they did and that they went and served, they came back, they were spit on and yet they turned the cheek. They did what they had to do to be recognized and acknowledged and to make sure that my generation wasn't treated the same way. I have utter respect for what they did for us. But here's, here's another thing to remember, like this whole idea of PTS, right? Mm -hmm. I don't call it PTSD. It's not a disorder. Mm -hmm. It's post-traumatic stress. Anybody that goes into a combat situation, and even if it isn't combat, the stresses of military life, uh, of course, it's exacerbated if you are in harm's way, clearly, but that's a significant thing to deal with, right? And so if you don't react to that, if your mind and body don't have certain reactions to that, uh, there's something wrong with you. So the folks that have this, these issues uh, that have been in stressful situations and then they come back home and they're processing it, they're having a natural, healthy reaction. What we need to do is make sure that we offer them, A, the acknowledgement and the acceptance of what they're going through, and B, the right level of treatment. You don't put them immediately into the psych ward. I mean, that's ridiculous. Right. That's not what they need. They have to be, I keep saying... Meet them where they are on the spectrum of need. What else do veterans need to succeed in the private sector? In the private sector. So that's a, a great, great topic for discussion because my view is 
this all-volunteer force. These are people that are motivated to serve. People join the military for different reasons. I'm not naive about that. Some of it's monetary, some of it's cultural, some of it is uh, the idea they want to have a What do you mean cultural? So I think there are expectations um, in different communities that people should serve in the military. Or, this is a very interesting one, a lot of times for young people in America, in the West, let's say, I don't mean Western America, but in the Western culture, there's a fundamental lack of rite of passage experiences. In other words, people historically in human history have had experiences that help them demarcate between being a child and being an adult. And those are called rites of passage. And, and we know what they are traditionally in, in, in ancient cultures, in, in sure, Native American culture. For example, the vision quest in the Native American culture. Well, our society is fundamentally lacking in these experiences. You could say, I guess, that one rite of passage is going off to college. And I think that's relevant for the population that we're sitting around right now here at Fordham. But it's not deep enough for certain people. And they yearn for something more. I know that was the case with me. I know that was the case with many of my peers in the Marine Corps. They wanted something to, to challenge them so that they could really, at the end of the day, prove to themselves that they were mature, that they were men or women that had undertaken a challenge and come out the other side of it successfully. So there is a cultural expectation and need among certain members of our society to join the military. So, Dan, let's talk about the history of your organization. It's gone through many changes since helping Spanish-American war vets in the 1800s. So describe your, the origins of your organization. Tell yeah. us about that. So this, this group that has had historically uh, existed in New York and actually in other cities as well across America, United War Veterans Council, uh, went dormant for decades. And what happened is as a result of some of the dynamics I described earlier post-Vietnam, the annual Veterans Day Parade in New York was dwindling and dwindling. At, at one point in the early 1980s, mid-80s, there was just a handful of, of men uh, marching up the street uh, with a drum. And that was the extent of the parade. And at one point, uh, I've been told by the folks that were involved at that point that the cops said, you guys don't even need a permit. Just walk up the sidewalk, you'll have your parade, that'll be the extent of it. And they refused to accept that, to their credit. And so this was a way, I think, uh, by organizing this event, this cultural event in New York, that they started to attract more and more attention and more acknowledgement of what their experience had been and why it was so important to remember them. Well, how did they do that, Dan? By attending meetings, by being involved in other existing organizations, the American Legion, the VFW, the DAV. Um, but those groups were kind of dwindling demographically because people in that generation were kind of not really seeing the value of participating. Or maybe they were still at a point in their own personal development that they didn't even want to acknowledge their military service. Maybe they wanted to not acknowledge it and ignore it and try and run away from it. But there was a core group that said, no, we're going to dive in. We're going to grab this bull by the horns. And what that had led to was in 1985, uh, the uh, Vietnam Welcome Home Parade, where the veterans marched across the Brooklyn Bridge. And it was kind of like the first national acknowledgement of their service. So 30 years later, 31 years later, now we have what we call America's Parade, uh, and we are already in the process of planning for it. And it's a major event. 
uh, as I said, we got almost 40,000 marchers, half a million spectators. This year, we're going to link the parade to events in Los Angeles and potentially to events in Philadelphia. So every year, we're growing, we're getting bigger. And it's because there's been this incredible bond formed between the Vietnam veterans generation and the post 9-11 veterans generation. Dan, tell me more about the, the Veterans Business Hub. We now call it Prosper. Prosper. It's called Prosper. And if you go online, it's www.prosper.vet. And essentially what it is is the country's first fully integrated veterans entrepreneurship platform. So there's three aspects to it. The first is we offer a community for veterans to learn about business, to support one another, to engage in thought leadership by writing articles or engaging in social media and really raising awareness on how they are successfully pursuing careers as entrepreneurs. That's the first aspect. The second aspect is that we offer them training, veteran entrepreneur training, uh, and this is conducted in partnership with NYU, um, where they can learn the fundamentals of starting a business and they can talk to each other, but also to established experts in the entrepreneurship field about the challenges they're going to face. Because we all know starting a business is not an easy thing. Uh, so that's the second part of it, the like training. Like the networking part. The networking, but then the actual training. Those are the first two. And then the third part is that there's a fully um, capable incubator uh, that we operate out of, which has... Uh, everything from support in legal issues and admin support, marketing advice, prototyping. There's even a 3D printer. So this is a way for us to take the community, take the training, and then begin to make it real. So that once they go through the third aspect of it, the incubator, they should be ready to, to face the real world as a startup. That's the concept. Dan, what has been one of your more fun experiences as a vet? So uh, about a year ago, I participated in a, uh, an ongoing improv comedy show. It's called Electoral Dysfunction, and it happens at the People's Improv Theater uh, downtown. Is it still long? They still have those? Yeah, every Saturday. Yeah. And, and so what it is is the first part of it is a panel discussion on current events. Um, and there's a lot to talk about in, <laughs> in this era, right? There's a lot of interesting political things happening right now. But it's followed by a, like an improv show where you kind of just uh, go on the stage and you try and make up a joint story. And... What did you do? So, well, the reason I'm bringing it up is um, what I realize is there's a lot of uh, material to draw upon. Like the military puts you in such interesting situations some of which are outlandish or just outright funny when you think about it. And so there's a lot of material to draw upon, and, and that really helped me as a person who is not typically involved in comedy improv shows to, to at least hold my own. I can't say I was, I was a star or anything, but at least I held my own. But the reason I bring it up is after that, we were hanging out at the bar upstairs from the theater, and a couple of people asked me, because these are smart people, they're politically engaged, why is it that dealing with veterans issues should be municipal or state government and not federal and i thought to myself wow that's that is a good question we know it's got to be federal because military service is federal by its very nature and so dealing with veterans has to be federal but the federal government only has certain reach right it doesn't delve down deep into the community 
And the community is where the rubber meets the road. These are where the veterans are dealing with other people, other members of the community, or receiving their local services uh, or contributing. And so at the end of the day, if these are people that we're, we're asking an extraordinary level of commitment and service from, and that's what military is, then we have to offer them comprehensive support from the government and from the private sector so they can reintegrate. We're not trying to make a charity case out of veterans. It's, it's not the way to look at it. What kind of support are you talking about? I'm talking about, for example, what we're doing with Prosper, giving them training and opportunities to excel so that they can reintegrate in society in ways which benefit not only themselves and their families, but their local communities, the local economy, uh, their their neighborhoods. That's what they really want to do. They're committed to service. Does your organization get any federal money? Um, we don't get any federal money. We do get some grants from the city government as we conduct the parade, and they give us um, they give us free of charge some of the equipment that we use for the parade, some of the bleachers, etc. But we work primarily with corporate sponsors. Um, we've had a very successful time of it with them um, but of course we have to our goal is to help the government and the corporate arena understand that when we have this parade and we conduct other events we're not having a party this is not you know a time to just cut loose and have fun what we're doing is we're offering opportunities for veterans to feel that they're acknowledged that they're honored and in bringing this incredible group of uh, organizations and individuals together, we're raising awareness and we're providing uh, a platform for networking so that we can strengthen the bonds that exist among the members of this community. That's why this parade is so important. Not because we want to have a party or, 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 or see ourselves as cool. We're offering a great way to help veterans reintegrate and be acknowledged for, for what they've offered us and help them offer value back to society at large. That's the big that's the big idea. And I want to switch to policy right now. Can we talk about the Fairness for Veterans Act? Uh, a number of New York lawmakers want Congress to pass this measure. They say some vets with conditions like PTS, I'm not going to put the D on it, uh, and, <laughs> other, <laughs> and other traumatic brain injuries are being um, denied for federally funded benefits and mental health care services. What is your take on the Fairness for Veterans Act? Well, I think it's a great idea. I, I don't see any anything controversial about it. Maybe I'm naive, but we have evolved as a society in our understanding of healthcare issues and of, of treating illness. Um, just as society has evolved, the military has evolved. And so the way we interact with and support and treat veterans has understandably been modified to reflect emerging research and understanding of, of PTS and other and other issues. TBI is now much easier to, to diagnose. What's TBI? Traumatic brain injury. Mm. So, you know, in previous wars, it was probably the case that people suffered from these things, which are not uh, unusual given the circumstances, but there was no way to understand that they were suffering from them. There was no way to diagnose them. Now we can do it more effectively. It's, it's, not, it's not perfect yet but it is getting better. And so if people uh, do have uh, diagnoses of TBI and PTS, how could we not give them special consideration uh, when they get back from the area of operations and they're back in garrison, back in the U.S.? Uh, how can we not 
understand that they may need greater support, greater services. You would give special consideration from, for somebody with a broken leg or a broken arm to not give special consideration for someone that's diagnosed with PTS or TBI makes no sense whatsoever. And so I think this is legislation that, that it makes sense, that needs to be passed, and that needs to be implemented. Uh, I think it reflects uh, our greater awareness as a society of, of the real cost of, uh, that some people face when they go into the area of operations. So, Dan, if any of my listeners want to get involved or help out with the United War Veterans Council, how do they do that? Sure. Thank you for asking. Um, United War Veterans Council, uh, among other things, produces the annual Veterans Day Parade. We call it America's Parade. So the the easiest and, and best thing to do is to go online and please check out our website, which is www.uwvc.org. America's Parade is a link on that site, but you'll see if you visit the the online uh, site that we do a lot of different things. We do veterans advocacy, veteran support, veteran sustainability, a very simple thing that people can do, and it's actually helpful to them as well. If you have old clothes, old textiles, bedsheets, housewares, lamps that you don't want anymore, if you're about to engage in spring cleaning, please visit our site. We have a page uh, for our recycling operation. We will come to you, pick the stuff up, and we'll give you a tax receipt on the spot so that not only are you cleaning your house, uh, but you're helping veterans and you're getting a tax write-off. So, I I mean, I can't think of a better deal than that. Um, So there's various ways that we can work together, and we are committed to uh, helping veterans and their families, not only in New York, but increasingly across the country. We have very practical ways of doing that. I want to thank my guest, Dan McSweeney, the president of the United War Veterans Council. Thank you, Dan. Thank you very much. It's great to be back at Fordham. (laughs) You can friend Fordham Conversations on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.